Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church, where we're one church in multiple locations. We believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In just a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that we hope is inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you have not yet joined us for a live service, we encourage you to visit eclife.org for our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel live in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you, and you would like to give financially, we invite you to do so at eclife.org by clicking on the giving tab and choosing online campus as your campus. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that this message will help guide you on your own spiritual journey. Welcome to Emmanuel. I want to welcome everybody at all our campuses, online, multi-site, micro-site. Y'all look so pretty. Thank you for joining us today. My name's Cody. I'm the Greenwood Campus Pastor. I am so excited to be here with you today to start our brand new series, Savage Jesus. We are so excited about this. But before we get going, I want to talk to you guys a little bit. Easter's coming up. Anybody jacked about Easter? Anybody excited? I'm jacked. I'm so excited about Easter. Now listen, we created these bring bites, these coasters. You remember when we launched the Franklin Campus? We had the black coasters. We have done something similar because we want you to invite your friends to Emmanuel for Easter. We know you're out there relentlessly pursuing people. Keep doing that. We made these hopefully so it's a little bit easier. Take these, grab a couple on your way out of, of service today, give them out to your friends, and you can also take a picture of the front and the back. You can share it on social media. You can text it to people. Whatever you need to do, keep inviting. We know you guys are doing a great job. Now, I'm so excited. Starting a new series, Savage Jesus, and the point of this series is we want to, we want to challenge you just a little bit. I want to push you just a little bit. And where I want to challenge you is I want to challenge the way that we think about Jesus, how we conceptualize Jesus, the way that we envision him. Because I think if we're being honest, whether we've been to church our whole lives or if we just started coming, when we think about Jesus internally, we probably think of an image pretty close to this. How many of you would say, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Like I've seen that. Raise your hand. Yeah. So a few of you, you've thought of this. So let's look at this picture. We've got Jesus. We've got the blue skies, probably about 60 degrees, would you say? We've got the lawn that's freshly manicured. It's been treated by the Cub Cadet, by the John Deere. Everything is pristine with the grass. He's surrounded by roughly 14, 15 lamb, lambs. Is that plural? Lambs. And he's holding a tiny infant baby lamb like a football. And he's kind of staring at it lovingly. The lamb's looking up lovingly as well. And I think the only thing softer than the wool of the lambs is Jesus's hair. I would like to imagine they use the same shampoo and conditioner. You look at the robe, you look at the garment, it's pristine, it's white, it's been bleached, it's been taken care of. This whole picture is very delicate. It's very soft. It's very wrong, I would argue. I think this is inaccurate. And I'm not the only one who feels this way about this image and the way we think about Jesus. See, Mark Buchanan had a really interesting quote. He said, the safe God has no power to console us in grief or shake us from complacency or rescue us from the pit. He goes on to say, he just putters in his garden, smiles benignly, waves now and again, hello, yes, how are you? And mostly spends a lot of time in his room doing puzzles. <laughs> now, if this is the, the image of, of Jesus that you have in your mind, I doubt that this is someone you're going to run to when times get a little bit tough. And this is not the way that I envision him. This is not the way that I think about Jesus. See, to me, I was trying to think of a way to explain it, a way I could way I could talk about this. And the only thing that came up was, was this idea of Jesus being savage. See, Jesus is 
savage. And I think that's the direction that we need to go when we start envisioning exactly who Jesus is. And when we were coming up with ideas and concepts for this talk, we're trying to think of a way to illustrate this idea. Like, who's someone we can, we can talk about? What's an image we can put out there that people will really get, that will really make sense? And the image that Pastor Danny landed on when we were talking about savagery was this. Does anybody know who this man is? Raise your hand. Now, if you know who this man is, there were two words that came to your mind immediately. What were they? Oh, yeah. Like, this is the macho man, Randy Savage, baby. This guy is incredible. He's very near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this man in the late 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, he was the dude in professional wrestling. Intercontinental champion, WWE, WWF, WCW champion. WWE called him the greatest title holder of all time. His patent and finishing move was the flying elbow drop from the top rope. He dropped down, smashed some dude's face. It was awesome. So good. This guy had legendary battles with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He fought Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania V. He had, in my opinion, the greatest wrestling match of all time at SummerSlam 92 with the Ultimate Warrior, the dude with the face paint that would like, grab the ropes. But the coolest thing is he came to Indianapolis for WrestleMania VIII when he battled the nature boy, Ric Flair. It was awesome. Did anybody go? Was anybody there? See, yes, I see a couple people. That brings the grand total to like three the whole weekend, including me. <laughs> I was there. I got to go change my life. It was awesome. I went with my brothers. I went with my dad. And my dad didn't want to lose us, so he put us all in the same T-shirt. So you got me and my two brothers walking around in like these red and white horizontal striped hideous shirts. We looked like three chubby little pirates walking around <laughs> this wrestling event. And I had a chili bowl. I should probably stop telling you what I looked like when I was a kid. It's pretty embarrassing. But that's, that's what we went to see. We went to see the Macho Man because this dude was savage. His last name is Savage for crying out loud. This guy was it. And this is the way we want to start thinking about Jesus, this attitude, this approach, what he was all about. And when we talk about being savage, what does that really mean? What's the operating definition that we're using? Well, it's this. A little crazy, a little fearless, a little courageous, risky, bold. And please hear my heart. When we say crazy, we are not making light of anyone with mental health issues, serious mental health issues. As a former school counselor, I take that very seriously. So, so please understand that's not what we mean. What we mean is oftentimes when someone is savage, they are so passionate, they're so intense that oftentimes it's construed as being just a little bit over the top, just being a little bit. So that's what we mean by that. Now, why are we talking about this? Why is this the subject of our Easter service? We could talk about anything. Easter's arguably one of the biggest weeks of the year. This could have been any concept that we wanted. But the reason we're talking about this is because of this statement. Our vision of Jesus shapes our faith. Our vision of Jesus shapes our faith. Because if you think about it, if your concept, if your vision of Jesus is the guy and the J. Crew pressed white linen robe from the spring catalog, surrounded by lamb chop and friends. Are you gonna go to him when times get tough? Are you gonna go to him during the cancer? Are you gonna go to him when things are not going well? Most likely not. Most likely he's going to continue to be a character in the Bible that you haven't read for six or seven days or a stained glass afterthought. What we want is to get a correct vision, a correct idea of exactly who Jesus is. And for my money, C.S. Lewis had this down cold. I'm sure you guys are familiar. We talk about mere Christianity. We talk about the screw tape letters, important Christian texts. But 
C.S. Lewis also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which I'm sure more of you are probably familiar with, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, more specifically. An interesting thing to note is that as C.S. Lewis was writing this, his direct comparison to Jesus was Aslan, the lion. We'll talk about him in a moment. But if you read the books, you'll notice that the word lion is capitalized. That's because it's out of deference and respect for Jesus within the book. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now we all do. So I want to read, I want to read a passage from this book. It's a conversation between Susan and Lucy and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Yes, we are quoting beavers from the stage online. Folks, please don't tune this out. Please stay with me. So just hang with me for a minute. So it starts and Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. When you think about Jesus and you think about the things that he did, the things that you've read about, the things that you've heard, would you consider him safe? I don't think I would. Is he good? Absolutely. But safe? I don't know. The one example I always go to is when, when Jesus casts out the demons into a herd of pigs and then the pigs sprinted towards the cliff and they fell off the cliff and they met their ultimate demise, both pigs and demons. Does that sound like somebody you'd want to hang out with or grab lunch with? I wouldn't. I would be terrified of that individual. But that does not mean he's not good. He's just not necessarily safe. He's just a little savage. Now, even C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about Aslan, it's not just enough for him to be Aslan. He's got to be the lion. He's got to be the great lion, the lion. He's the dude. And when you look at the way Jesus was categorized by people that knew him, the names that people called him, anybody that interacted with him had a very crystal clear conception of exactly who Jesus is. There was no confusion. Now, I was trying to think of somebody, a human being with a, a long list of nicknames, and the one person I kept coming back to is Muhammad Ali. Everybody called him the greatest, the goat, the greatest of all time. They called him the people's champion. They called him the Louisville Lip because he was from Kentucky. He used to talk a lot of smack leading up to his fights. But when you put those nicknames up to the rap sheet that Jesus has, look at this. These are just a few. This is not all. This is not a comprehensive list. It's called the king of kings. So any king that's ever existed or ever will exist, Jesus is the king of those kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the judge. And I love judge because whenever you say it, you got to drop your voice and knock him. It's like, he's the judge. He's the Lord of all. He's the master. This next one is wonderful. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So everything we know about kindness, patience, gentleness, love, forgiveness, grace, having our thoughts fixed on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He's the author. He, he wrote it. He perfected it. That's a heck of a title. He's the rock. Who do we think, of, like when we think of the rock now, who do you think of? You think of the rock, right? That's who you think of. You think of Dwayne Johnson. You think of the guy with the pecs and the Instagram account and the Under Armour clothing deal and the guy that squats a small village in the action movies. Like that's, that's who you think of. But Jesus was the rock before the rock was the rock. Like this guy's always been the rock. He's the door. You want to enter through the doorway of everlasting life? You got to go through the door. There's only one door. It is Jesus. The vine, you want to stay attached to the vine? You want to grow? You got to stay attached to the vine that is Jesus. Grow in your faith. The way, the truth, in a world that is filled with such junk and garbage and lies. Like he is the one constant, the one truth. He always has been. He always will be. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And this last one's my favorite just because I think it sounds so cool. 
He's the alpha and the omega. Like that, you gotta be a bad dude to have somebody call you the alpha and the omega. Like, let's not get it confused. He is the beginning and the end. Nothing passes through his hands without him knowing. Like he is, he is the alpha and the omega. He is Jesus. That is the point of this series. We want you to have an accurate vision of who exactly this Jesus Christ was. We don't want anyone to be confused. And over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to show you guys a series of five different stories, five different proofs. And the first one that we're starting with today is from Matthew 8, story of the wind and the waves. And practically speaking, the reason that we are doing this, like how you can apply this to your own life, as you'll, just, as you'll see in just a moment, is that you will have a storm. You will have a storm. If you haven't already, it is inevitable. One will come. As we talk about this or as we put this up, you guys are probably thinking, yeah, I've had a storm or six or seven I'm thinking of. And that's okay because we are human. We are going to have storms. And I want you to keep in mind that leading up to this wind and the wave story in Matthew 8, just exactly what the disciples saw from Jesus before they ever got into the boat with him. They saw Jesus heal a man with leprosy. So already the gears are starting to turn like this guy's not normal. There's something off about this guy. There's something a little bit different. Then... They go to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is so sick and so ill that she's bedridden. She's got a fever. Jesus comes in, touches her hand. She gets up and goes and prepares a meal. So in a way, Peter's mother-in-law, also pretty savage. And then, again, before they get into the boat, they see him cast out demons. So there's multiple examples where the disciples could have been tipped off and said, like, we can put all of our faith in this guy. Like, we know exactly who he is. But as you'll see in a moment, when the storm pops up, they go to a very human place. So it starts out, Matthew 8. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Key thing to note here, we're good. Everything's fine. There's no mention of a storm. There's no mention of darkness on the horizon. There's no mention of precipitation. Like, we're fine. We're just getting in the boat and we're going. But it changes very quickly. The first word in the next verse, suddenly, hang on to that word, suddenly, keep it. A fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. So this thing comes on them fast. This is not something that they could see off in the distance. It's like right now, like, oh, we're in it. We are in the storm. And it's fierce. It's intense. It's frightening. It strikes the water. Like, it's, this is a scary deal. Like, these men are terrified. But what's Jesus doing? Jesus is obviously sharing the same emotions, isn't he? No. It says, but Jesus was sleeping. He's asleep. How? Why? Well, because Jesus is never confused about his identity. Jesus never has to question who he is or what he can do. He is never confused about who sent him. He's never confused about his father. You see, Jesus is so set in his identity that no matter what storm comes or what is thrown at him, he is calm. He is able to sleep because he knows exactly who he is. Not the disciples, though. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. That's the level of fear that they are facing in that moment. I was trying to, to picture this in my mind. Have I ever been in a spot where I have reached out to someone and said, hey, hey, save me. I don't know if I have. And I'm scared of a lot of stuff. I'm scared of the dark. I don't, like, I don't like being tight in closed spaces. I'm kind of claustrophobic. I don't like those things. But I've never been in a closet and said, save me. Like, I've never been there. They were. 
Like these men are legitimately terrified. They went to that human place where we go to fear when a storm pops up instead of going to Jesus. That's exactly where they went. And I love Jesus' response. He says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. You can almost hear the disappointment. You can almost hear the annoyance in his voice. Like, come on, like, come on. Like, where have you been? Like, you've been with me the whole time. Like, do you not understand yet? Like, have you not seen the stuff I've done? Like, you didn't see the leprosy? Like, that wasn't good enough? Like, you, you missed that part? Okay, we went to Peter's mom's house right before we ate. Like, I healed her. She didn't have the fever anymore. That's not good enough either. Like, I cast out the demons. Like, physically pulled them out. Like, we're still unsure about who I am. You're still fearing. You're still doubting. You still feel like you're going to drown. That's okay. That's fine. Take a seat. I've got this. I will handle it. Just give me one minute. And then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And suddenly, there's a great calm. Think about that. You are the disciples. You've got an idea. But then you see. You see what he can do and you feel that calm. Internally, you feel it in the atmosphere. Everything stops. And they have the response that I think most of us would have. Their response is this. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, in that moment, they knew. They were no longer confused. You hear that phrase sometimes. You're going to learn today? They learned. They know now that they're not dealing with a mortal man. They are dealing with Jesus, and Jesus is savage. Now, they went to a very human place initially, that place of fear, because like I said, you're all going to have a storm. And much like the disciples, it's going to be scary. And oftentimes, it will feel like you are drowning. You're going to be up to your neck in anxiety. You'll be up to your neck in debt. You'll be up to your neck in fear. And it's going to feel like there's no escape, no hope, and you're just going to die. And those storms manifest themselves in many different ways in our lives. For some of us, maybe the storm is finances. Like the money is not where it used to be. Maybe a family situation has come up or an emergency, medical bills, and now the money isn't where it once was. Maybe you work off commission and you're in kind of a low season and we don't know when the upswing's gonna come. Things are a little bit rough right now. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you're starting to date somebody and you think things are going pretty good initially, everything's fine, then you get about a month into it, two months into it, and you're like, ugh, this isn't going so well. Maybe you married somebody and the communication was pretty good, life threw something at you, and now the communication hadn't been the same in months. You haven't talked to the person. You don't even know who you're going to bed with next, like next to you at night. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're trying to teach your kids all these different things, living a Christ-centered home, trying to bring them up a way that, that would honor Jesus. And, and they're going to school. They're going out to these different social functions. They're coming back. They're doing things and saying things. They're acting a different way. And you're like, I'm not raising this. This isn't something that we teach. This isn't something I coached. When is this storm going to pass? When are we going to get out of, of this? Maybe it's your job. Maybe you lost your job. And now, kind of going back to the financial part, you don't know when you're going to get the next job. You've, you've updated the resume. You've applied. You've got the experience. People are saying, hey, you got a little bit too much, not quite enough. It's rocking your confidence a little bit, and now you're in that storm. Or maybe on the flip side, we don't talk about this one as much, maybe you just got a promotion. And people are looking at you like they expect you to know some stuff. And you're just standing there like, 
I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> maybe it's your health. You know, maybe it's the cancer. Maybe it's that, that initial cancer diagnosis that just rocks us. Or maybe you've been dealing with somebody that's, that has cancer for a while. You're trying to support them. You're like, are we ever going to get out of this? Maybe it's heart disease. Maybe it's your weight. The weight goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. Storm comes in, goes out. Maybe it's stayed up and you can't get it to come down. Maybe it's pregnancy. You're trying to get pregnant. You're trying, you're trying, you're trying. Nothing is working. You see all your friends on social media. They're posting. You're going to all these baby showers and you're happy for them. You're trying to be happy for them. You really are. But internally, you've got a storm going on because it's just not working out for you. And you're wondering why. Maybe... Maybe these storms of miscarriage. Did you know that 10 to 20% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage? Did you know that? I didn't. My wife didn't either. So for us, that was a storm. It's about a year ago. And that was a very sudden storm, one that I had not anticipated because nobody talked to us about it. Never got brought up. I probably should have researched that. That's probably my fault. So Right around the time we get the telltale signs of the, the miscarriage, we got the doctor's appointment, the blood tests. My wife is studying for this mega huge test. And this test is the type of test that within a company or organization determines your upward mobility, your, tra your trajectory within that company for years to come. Maybe some of you have taken a test like that, like a certification or licensure exam, whatever you have. So she's taken this thing and I've, I've talked to her about this. She's okay with me sharing this. She failed the test twice. So that's a storm, that external pressure, like am I ever gonna pass this stupid thing? Costs a lot of money to take this test. Now we're talking about financial storms, like is it, ever gonna, is it ever gonna work? Am I ever gonna get this thing done? Gotta pass it. I'm trying to help her study. I'm doing more harm than good. It's not working out. It's just stressful. The next test is in two days. And if you reschedule it, it's like six months to reschedule a thing, it's awful. That's when she gets the phone call. Hey, Mrs. Johnson, just wanna let you know, Blood levels aren't where we'd like them to be. Just want to call and confirm that you have had a miscarriage. You've lost your child. I'm very sorry. Click. I'm in the boat now with my wife. And this is sudden. It's violent. It's scary. Waves are coming in. I don't know what to do. Because as a husband, what do you do in that situation? How do I support my wife? I can't take the prenatal vitamins. I can't get 8 to 12 hours. Like I can't do anything. I can fold laundry. I can help. And I look at her and I fully expect my wife to hang up the phone and just be so racked with grief that she's just going to collapse and crumble and completely break down into a mess of emotion. And I look across the room and all I see is peace. All I see is calm. I see a woman who puts the phone down and 180 seconds later picks up note cards and she just flip, flip, flip. She's studying. You just confirmed that you lost a child and she's studying. I think she's blowing microchip. And so I say, how are you able to, how are you able, like, how? Is there anything I can do to help you? And she says, no. Flip, flip, flip. So I get up and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the living room. I'll, I'll be in there if you need anything. I shut the door. And I'm just standing there like, what is going on? Like, I don't know what's happening in the bedroom. Like, I don't know what she's going through. An hour passes, she comes out, takes a deep breath, walks towards me, puts her head right here, and I just kind of hold her. And I'm like, how can you do this? How are you able to keep studying? Like, we just lost a kid. How are you able to push through? And she says, I'm not. I gave it all to God, 
And I don't know how he's going to use this. I don't know how he's going to use this to grow me. I don't know how he's going to use this in the future to help somebody else, but he will. And that's enough. She walks to the kitchen, pours herself some tea, goes back to the bedroom, continues studying. Two days later, she passes the test after she loses her kid. And I'm standing there amidst all of this just gobsmacked because nobody told me that my wife was savage. Like, I knew she was tough, like Southside girl. <laughs> she's Perry Meridian Falcon, like proud, proud Falcon. And I'm from Johnson County, so I didn't know about Southside girls. Much like the disciples, I learned. <laughs> I mean, she's tough, but the, the thing about it, the thing about her savagery, the most savage thing was she had an accurate vision of Jesus and she knew that in that moment, in that pain, in one of the worst moments of our marriage, she knew that God was gonna use it as a way to grow something, endurance, patience, faith, use that tale, use that moment as a way to help another woman, another couple down the road somewhere, some way. That was her vision of Jesus and that's how she could use it because she understood that he was savage. So I'm not convinced. Still need a little bit more. Fine, I've got you. First Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Like, think about that. The invisible God, the, the author and perfecter, the creator of all, he was, he's the physical embodiment of it. I love that. He, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So all creation, any and everything, there's not multiple, there's just one. Just the one, the one, and it's him. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This next part's my favorite. He existed before anything else, and I want you to take these yellow words and bury them in the deepest recesses of your brain. He holds all creation together, all of it, all creation all storms, all pain, all debt, all finances, all marital problems. He holds it all together. So when you think that you can't hold it all together and you're not equipped and you're not able, you're not designed to do that. That's not your job. Give it to him. He holds all creation together. What would it look like if we realized that the creator and sustainer of the universe was with us in our boat? What does that look like for all of us moving forward? What does it do? Well, it destroys your fear, eliminates it, eradicates it, it's gone. Destroys your fear. Because now, when you realize that Jesus is with you in the storm and you truly realize that Jesus is savage and you let him do the things that he's designed to do in your life, you're free. You have freedom from that fear, from that anxiety, from that ice ball in the pit of your stomach when you're getting ready to walk up on stage and preach. You're free from, from all of this worry because you know you're not designed to do it by yourself. And you have unlimited knowledge of knowing that he is going to bring you back to shore because that's what he does. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is with you in the boat and he will bring you back to the dock. If anybody is going to find land in the midst of your storm, it is Jesus. That's what he's designed to do. And it takes time. Things like miscarriage, things like job loss, things like 
a cancer, heart disease, like these things take time. You don't just wake up and like, okay, I'm recovered. I'm great from this. Like, it's okay. It takes time to work through a storm. Look at Hurricane Katrina. They're still rebuilding down there from that. But you can rise from the ashes. You can rise from the rubble as long as you know that Jesus is with you in your storm. You can have that knowledge. You can have that assurance. Practically speaking, though, how do we do that? How do we practically manifest that in our own lives? You go to Jesus. You go to him, just like the disciples did in the boat. They went to the fear first, but eventually they woke him up because they knew that if I'm going to get out of this alive, I have to go to Jesus. And I know for a lot of you, especially if you're new, especially online, if you're a little bit new, I get this. This is a big concept. I understand that. So how do we practically do that? How can I make that work for my life? It works in a lot of different ways. Sometimes for people, it's prayer. You go to him in prayer constantly throughout your day. Some people have a quiet spot in their house. Some people do it in the car. Some people do it at the gym. There's a lot of different places you can go, but you go constantly. And not only are you speaking to him, but you are listening to see how he is going to deliver you from that storm. It's a back and forth relationship. You've got to put in the time if you want that relationship to get stronger and grow. For some of you, it might be journaling. This helps me a ton. Because what I can do is I can go back and I can journal. Say I journal for a year. I can go back a year ago and I can see, okay, had the miscarriage about a year ago. I wrote, okay, God, like Jesus, I, I understand what, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing, but I understand that there's a purpose for it. I don't know what it is, but you know, your will be done. I'm with you. Let's roll. Let's work through this. In about three to four weeks, we are expecting our next little girl, which is kind of cool. Don't clap yet. We haven't met her. She might be mean. <laughs> and that's not a typical thing. Like, that's not how it'll work out for you all the time. But, like, if you, if you lose a job, you might not get pregnant as a result of that. Like, I don't want that to be the result for you. But, but what I'm saying is God will deliver you, and you can go back in your journal, and you can see how he delivered you over time. And it won't always be the way that you envision or the way that you want, but a journal keeps track of it. Like, you've got, you've got the paper trail. It's, it's an amazing tool. Then for some of you, it might just be realizing that I can't do this alone. I need to link arms with somebody. I got to join a small group. I've got to have an accountability partner. I need to go somewhere where I can talk to somebody who's got an accurate vision of Jesus and they can walk me through this storm and we can partner together, bring Jesus in our boat and we can get out of this. There's nothing wrong with that because we're not designed to walk through this life alone. You need help, get help. Find somebody you can lean on. Find a group of people you can lean on and go to them in your storm. Final question. Will you go to Jesus in your storm? Will you go to him in your storm when times get tough? Are you going to have an accurate vision of him? Are you going to go to the guy in the manicured lawn fields with the lambs? Or are you going to go to the Jesus who is the author and perfecter of your faith? The master, the Lord, the truth, the vine, the way, the rock, the alpha and the omega. Are you going to go to that? Some of you know this and some of you don't, but two weeks ago, uh, my mom passed away. Lost my mom. She's 59 years old. Man, you talk about a storm. So what you might not know is two weeks prior to that, when I'm up here awkwardly with like my hands in my pockets, and they're announcing that I'm going to be the next campus pastor, my mom was the lady who was sitting right about over there. She was clapping at me like it was a soccer match. She, she stood up when everybody else was sitting down. I'm like, come on, mom. 
that would be the last time I would see my mom before we had to take her to the hospital. So two weeks ago, it was a Friday, I'm going over to my mom and dad's house thinking I'm going to go with my dad to the first chemo appointment. We're going to go, tell some jokes, keep everybody's spirits up, hang out, grab some lunch, whatever. And I get to the house and she's, she's unresponsive. And if you knew anything about my mom, you would know that getting her to talk was never the problem. But this woman would talk your ear off. She was amazing. Very funny woman. And so I get there and she's just sitting on the couch and it's just a thousand yard stare. Like I'm getting nothing. I'm, I'm talking to her. I'm getting nothing back. I got to put my mom's shoes on. She's 59 years old. Like I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd have to put my mom's shoes on her. So I put them on gently one at a time because you don't want to hurt your mom. I got to put her coat on her because it's, it's cold outside. And I'm working her, her arms through the coat. Her, her fingers are real, like, real limp and soft. I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. And then I go to pick her up off the couch. I kind of get my, my hooks in under her arms. And I go to lift her up. And right as I start to stand, she puts her head on my shoulder. And she takes her hand and just starts to pat the back of my arm real soft. For me, that was when I could kind of sense the dark clouds were coming in. Like things are getting a little bit wet now. So I pick her up, start to walk with her like this towards my dad's pickup truck, like you'd move a refrigerator to a moving truck and allowing her feet to kind of catch up a little bit because she's a little slow. And I pick her up, physically I have to pick my mom up into the car, get her feet and get her legs over the seat and we go to the hospital. And we get to the hospital and we get there <clears throat> and the doctor says, your mother's had a stroke. And she's got blood clots in her lungs and it's likely that in the next 24 hours she's going to have another stroke. And because of the stroke, we can't administer the chemo. And because of the cancer, we can't give her the stroke medication. I'm very sorry. My brothers and my dad are looking at me like, you're sorry? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, when's my mom coming home? When do I get to bring my mom home? And he says, no, 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 you, you misunderstand. Your mom's not coming home. Very sorry. It's dark. It's cold, it's wet, it's sudden. We are in this storm now, and I'm not prepared because I didn't know it was coming. And I'm in this boat, my brother's in this boat, my dad's in this boat, and I don't know what to do because I'm going to the place where the disciples went. I'm going to the fear right now, and I'm drowning. And I'm looking around, I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with this. I'm not equipped for this. And I'm looking around at everything, and I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in church. I've had a relationship with Jesus for about eight years. And so all the lights, and like this is still very new for me sometimes. And I'm thinking about my rock, which is my dad. I'm looking at my dad. My dad's the strongest person I know. He, he was the cornerstone before I knew about the cornerstone. He's my rock. And I'm looking at him because I go as he goes. And this guy is getting tossed everywhere, like waves from every side. People are coming in, hey, Mr. Johnson, hey, we got a pamphlet for you. You can read this about grief and loss. You're probably going to want to check this out. Hey, I know hospice really isn't in the cards, but is there anything that we can do? Can we send another chaplain by your room to administer last rites? Is that something that you'd be interested in? And my dad, who's usually the strongest man that I know, is just getting battered around. And I'm thinking, this guy is going to fold. And I'm going to have to watch him. I have to watch my dad die and my mom fold same day. I can't do this. But what my dad did, what my earthly father did, shaped my faith forever. Because when things would get rough and things would start to heat up and ramp up a little bit, he would just kind of take his hands like this and he'd look around and he would say, who wants to pray? Who, who wants to pray? Who's, who's going to pray for mom? 
Like I'm praying, my brother's praying, like people that are visiting are praying over my mom. Because even though he's in the infancy of his faith, even though he is at the very beginning of his spiritual journey, his vision of Jesus was crystal clear. And he knew that he's not equipped to stare his wife of 31 years in the face and say, I know how to deal with this. I know how to get out of this storm by myself. I can do this alone. He knew that he could not, but he knew who could because of what he's seen, because of what he's heard. He knew that he could go to Jesus in that storm. And not only did it save his own life, it saved my life. It saved the lives of anyone that was in that room because now we know exactly who's in the boat with us. And it's going to take some time. We are not back to land yet. We are still working through this grief. And that's okay because we know who's in the boat with us. We can see the land. We know that the author and perfecter of our faith is in the boat with us still. We know that the Jesus we love and the Jesus that's riding with us is savage. Now, for some of you, before today, you didn't know that. For some of you, there was some confusion. Be confused no longer about who is with you in your boat, who is with you in your storm, who can get you back to land. You have an opportunity to step into this relationship because the most savage thing that Jesus ever did was he died for you. He went to the cross and he died, and he rose again, conquering the penalty of sin so that you could have an everlasting, eternal relationship with the Father. And for some of you before today, maybe you've been coming here for a while, you've been on the fence, you don't know if this is for you, I think the time might be now because what you need to realize is Jesus has been with you in your boat your whole life, and he is just waiting for you to wake him up. So go wake him up. Now, if you are ready to enter in this relationship with Christ, I'm going to say a simple prayer. Follow along with me. Make these words your own. If you've already made this decision, please pray for the person next to you. It's a very, it's a very important day. Father, we love you. We love you so much. Father, I have made mistakes. I have sinned. To this point, I've not acknowledged that you are in my boat. But Father, I want to turn away from all that. Today, I acknowledge that you are my savior. You're my rock. And I want you to be with me in all my storms for all of eternity. So Jesus, forgive me, welcome me, and keep me in your arms for the rest of my days. It is in your savage name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you because we know that they're celebrating heaven. Can we give these people a hand? Oh, so good. So good. You just prayed that prayer online? Ooh, yeah, baby. So excited for you too. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we want to take these next steps too because we know it's big. We know it's scary. We know it's intimidating. But there are people that can help you. Go back to the corners. Go back to the starting tables, starting point tables. Drop us a comment if you're watching online. We will send you a copy of the New Believers New Testament Bible for you. You can get started right away. You can get reading so you can understand and learn about the savagery of Jesus. And we can walk with you along the way. Can we give God a hand for the amazing things that he's doing?
We're going to close with a little bit of worship. So if you would stand to your feet, worship our amazing God, and really use this as an opportunity for you to go to him right now in whatever storm you're battling. God bless.